Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Torch. I'm Jake. And I'm Kimberly. And this week, we have the one, the only, Matthew Failing as our guest. Welcome, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be here. So, Matt Failing, for the last 24 years, has dedicated his career to ensuring BBB remains a relevant and trusted source. Prior to joining BBB serving the Pacific Southwest, formerly the Greater Arizona BBB, in 2004 as executive vice president and being appointed to president and CEO in 2006, Matthew served in several roles across the country, including with the Council of Better Business Bureaus. Leading the largest BBB in the country, his voice is heard on a national level while serving on the CBB Board of Directors. Matthew is a board member for Coyotes Charities and is past president of the Valley of the Sun Kiwanis Club. He earned a Bachelor of Science degree from Virginia Commonwealth University's School of Mass Communications. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. You're welcome. Pretty impressive resume there. <laughs> okay, if you say so, <laughs> I'll take it. Talk to us a little bit. I mean, Jake and I know quite a lot about you, we think. You think? But nobody listening, you know, they might not know about you. So we want to find out. We always start at the beginning, mm -hmm. and we'd love to find out a little bit about where you grew up and... Uh, yeah, go from there. Go to the roots. The roots. Well, I was born in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, uh, just outside or perhaps even on the campus of Purdue. I, I, I don't recall being born, but uh, <laughs> that's when my birth certificate tell, uh, tells me I was born as well as my parents told me. Uh, lived in Indiana till I was about three, I believe it was, and then we moved to Illinois. So I was in a uh, manufacturing town uh, in the early 70s through mid 80s called uh, a town called Danville Heisterbone Tepec Lahoff uh, Quaker Oats uh, General Motors Pepsi bunch and bunch of kind of processing assembly line type of, of businesses in the middle of corn and soybean fields so right on the border of Illinois Indiana small town uh, ride your bike you know from dusk till dawn um, you know, three feet of snow, uphill both ways to school, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, beautiful summers, beautiful falls, springs, four seasons, but um, very, very small basketball, baseball, kind of, you know, all America, you know, apple pie kind of thing. So I remember we were talking about Stephen King once and you told me that basically like your childhood was like Stranger Things and like it and like those kids like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the neat thing watching that was just like it. it and, and my wife, who 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 was from Sweden. Um, you know, I grew up uh, in the similar, you know, same time frame, and obviously, uh, uh, yet obviously different because Sweden, United States. Uh, but yeah, I, it just reminds me of my uh, my childhood and how we went to school and how we interacted with each other and how the older kids kind of had this pecking order and mm -hmm. you know took care of the younger kids, but at the same time, kind of you know made their life very difficult. Um, so yeah, I'm used to. You know, there, there wasn't a safety zone that I think exists today for for people growing up. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, at the same time, it wasn't bad. It was it was it was fun. So, but then I moved to Virginia when I was uh, fourteen. So right before I started high school, moved to Virginia, little uh, suburb of Richmond, Virginia, and uh, spent the rest of my days there. You know, graduated high school, went to college, uh, first job, that sort of thing, all in Virginia. So um, I kind of had the midwestern upbringing combined with the kind of southern upbringing so I, I, it's interesting i can kind of turn on the southern charm or kind of the uh midwestern you know uh humility uh depending on the circumstance okay two things about matt i don't detect any sort of accent like a, no midwestern accent i mean uh, i i'm i 
Don't know. You tell <laughs> me. Just, I just always notice that about people from the Midwest. Like, what? He doesn't have an accent because he's a man of the people from all <laughs> over the country. Mm. But my question for Matt is: Do you consider yourself a Hoosier? I was born in Indiana, so absolutely will okay. always be a Hoosier. But I was a, a Boilermaker fan, so you know we are the uh, what Bob Knight calls the crazies of Indiana. So <laughs> yeah. I also, we don't recognize Notre Dame as being from the state of Boo. Indiana. <laughs> we always get into this. We won't do this today. Yeah. <laughs> it's Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Illinois. Chicago. But yeah. you're from Illinois, too. Yeah, I know. But I just, it, it, it's the joke for <laughs> Purdue fans, people from, <laughs> so you know, Indiana. It's like Notre Dame fans don't even know what state Notre Dame's in. <laughs> it's so, so sad. Yeah. So, Matt, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, it's a great question. I, I, I don't know. And I ask my kids that, you know, sometimes just to see what they say. And, you know, I hear my answers today even because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Right. <laughs> uh, I really don't. I, I don't. I didn't have anything other than I played a lot of sports. Um, so I think you always have those dreams about maybe taking it to the next level. But I was never the best. I was always good and always kind of you know right there. You know, you know, I would be maybe the second or third pick never the first pick you know when the teams were kind of divvied out so um i just kind of ran out of talent athletically uh as most people do because there's very few spots for <laughs> professional athletes but i you know i don't think that drove me it didn't uh it wasn't an obsession and i think probably that's why you know one of the reasons i didn't make it was i didn't have that obsession i didn't really have i i just you know my mom was always talking about be a good citizen be a good citizen that and she was uh in the public schools, uh, speech pathologist. Hmm. So she would always talk about just, you know, being a good citizen. And then I would see my dad, you know, get up and go to work and, you know, what he did. So, I mean, it, it just, I kind of was always around kind of, you know, the, the middle class full-time job was a necessity. And so if you're going to do something, do something good and um, kind of looked into this, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Was education a big part of that? Like, Oh, yeah. It wasn't a question of, uh, of whether or not you were going to college. It was where you were going to go to college. And mm-hmm. so I took quite the circuitous route to get my degree. But, um, you know, it, it, it was never a question. It was just kind of stated. And I, yet I didn't feel that pressure, which is kind of, you know, some of my friends, I think, felt the pressure to get into an Ivy League school or the engineering school of their choice or this. And for me, it was just... Hey, just going to college. Just go to college. It was just kind of part of who my brother and I, you know, were and who we were raised to be. What did you study in college? Well, um, I can't. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> my degree is in mass communications, and there's a public relations track. And so I was at Virginia. I graduated from Virginia Commonwealth, but I started at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia. Was there about three semesters, and and just was wasting money in my opinion because I didn't know what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and. Um, thought I wanted to get into advertising. So I transferred to James Madison, but to take you back to the days of pre-internet, um, I had an old course book that somebody had given me from you know probably five years old. I just assumed, I mean, why would they change anything? So when I showed up <laughs> after my transfer to James Madison in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is in the middle of nowhere, um, beautiful campus, great school, the major uh, that I wanted was no longer there. And yeah, so, you know, I didn't do my research ahead of time, obviously, you know, that was a life lesson. So I stayed there for two whole semesters and just, you know, just plotted through some more general studies courses and then said, you know what, I'm again, wasting money. I mean, this is just not a good use of money. And so uh, I took a semester off, 
moved back home with parents and um, found a job at an engineering firm, which, uh, yeah, right? I think a friend of mine had a job there and said, hey, you should come work here. Okay, Mm -hmm. why not, you know? I mean, engineering had nothing to do with what I wanted to do, (laughs) so why not go work there? What'd you do there? Concrete inspection. Okay. So I would take wheelbarrows of concrete um, every 100 cubic yards. We would take uh, a wheelbarrow and fill it and then uh, do a number of tests uh, and let uh, cylinders cure on site. And so uh, what you did then was um, there was a specific way that you had to collect the samples. And um, then you would go back a couple of days later to pick up your box. You're cured or, you know, not not cured, but set. There would be set cylinders, and so you'd pick up the set of four, or eight, twelve, whatever it was, because four for every hundred cubic yards. Take it back to the lab. From there, you would uh, mark them and and put them in a wet room, and then take another card out for the day's breaks, and then mark down the psi at which the concrete kind of cracked. But mm-hmm. you'd cap them with molten sulfur. Uh, it, it, you know, had huge biceps. <laughs> the amount of like <laughs> concrete cylinders that you had to pick up. But uh, one of the jobs was at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is in Richmond, which is across the river from where I grew up, and um, it's a whole different world. It was a it was an awesome school. It was just very urban. There wasn't really a campus to speak of at the time. Very eclectic. It was an art school. A lot of musicians and artists and um, sculptors and you know you name it. And although I was none of those things, all those things really intrigued me, and. Uh, decided this is where I want to go to school. I didn't care what I studied. This is where I want to go to school. As luck would have it, uh, they had a program with advertising and Mm. so through mass communication. So I uh, began work to get into that school and got in, yet um, decided pretty early on that advertising wasn't for me and uh, really was drawn to public relations. Mm -hmm. So there was uh, broadcasting, public relations, news writing, and advertising were the four tracks that you could kind of select under this school of mass communications. So I took uh, the public relations track, thinking very the proximity to D.C., might mm-hmm. work for some politicians, these sorts of things, and, um, you know, just um, fell in love with it and did that for, what, three years? So I was on a three-university and almost six-year plan to get my four-year degree. So you it, know, worked, it worked out well for you, though, Matt. It worked. <laughs> it worked. There's more of the kind of, you know, bouncing around, uh, right? But, yeah, it, it, it was fun. You started your career with BBB as an intern, right? <laughs> I did. Um, can you talk about those early days and kind of work your way up to becoming um, president and CEO? Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I truly don't feel that different from that kid that walked through the doors 24 years ago, 25 years ago, who knows? <laughs> um, somebody's going to get a calculator out to figure <laughs> that out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I needed a three-credit internship uh, to graduate. It was the last thing I needed, and those didn't pay. And I I made comment to my internship coordinator who said, yeah, you know, some of them do. Oh, well, then put me down for one that does. And he said, well, it may take longer, but we'll get you one. Okay, great. Semester comes and goes and didn't get one. Summertime, July, I believe it was, phone rings. Uh, met my little one-bedroom apartment in the uh, middle of the city. Pick up the uh, pick it up and, uh, uh, hey, Better Business Bureau needs an intern. I said, who? The Better <laughs> Business Bureau. What's that? Right, 21 years old. Um, I didn't know what it was. 22 years old probably, actually. Um, no, 
shoot, I don't even know how old I was at that point, right? If I was on the six-year path, I was probably 24, 19, yeah, I was 24. So um, I said, well, sure, uh, I'd love to, don't care who it is, so what do I need to do? And I walked through the doors and uh, interviewed, and just the next day I was there helping out with a newsletter. Uh, they had lost somebody, um, you know, to uh, a, a different career right in the middle of a big project, and they needed somebody who really understood how to do newsletter layout and design, and that was about it. They didn't really need anything else. So uh, I was 15 years younger than the next person in the office, and uh, the the CEO, uh, the boss uh, of that organization, just kind of took me under his wing and treated me like a, a, a fifth son. He had four kids already. <laughs> Um, his oldest was just a few years younger than myself. And so I think he saw his oldest in me, uh, and just gave me every opportunity. Uh, and, 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 you know, within three months I was full time and, you know, within another three months I'm doing this and another three months I'm doing that. Next thing you know, what had been kind of three separate jobs or all rolled up into one job that I had, um, that were, uh, one salary, uh, one very low paid <laughs> salary, but I was a kid. I didn't know any better and I didn't know any different. I wouldn't change it for the world. And, uh, uh, I made nothing, but I needed nothing. I, you know, I needed nothing. I made nothing plus a dollar and I, that's all I needed. Right. And so I could pay rent, I could eat, you know, I think rent at the time was $300 a month and I was splitting wow. it with two other people. So my share was like a hundred bucks a month. I, what do you need? Right. Um, so it was, uh, it was, it was a fun time. And I just, I got exposed to everything over five years and, um, you know, whatever I would ask, my, my, my inquisitiveness would be met with an opportunity, right? I'd say, what about this? And he'd say, go learn it. Here you go. You know, go sit with, or I'm going to give you this as a responsibility. And, um, he was a wonderful, wonderful guy to work for in that regard. Still a friend. He retired a couple of years ago, um, and I still, you know, see him once a year and uh, really you know, admire him and uh, am, am grateful. So those first five years, I did everything, and we were a smaller office. And when I say I did everything, it's not like I, I'm not trying to imply I ran the place because I did anything but. Uh, <laughs> I basically, you know, fixed everything from the soda machine to the fax machine to the computers to the voice automated voice response system to learned how to handle customer complaints to – um, devise public relations strategies to, you know, handle accounts payable to, uh, it, you know, just on down the line, just got exposed to everything. And mm-hmm. so it was a great, uh, introduction into business. And so what, when my friends were kind of like, how much, you, you, you don't make enough money. And I'd say, you don't have enough, you know, responsibility. <laughs> like you're going in and answer the phones and you got to sign out to pee. And <laughs> I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I got a key to the place. I'm here in the mornings and the nights and the weekends. And you know what? Like, this is going to serve me well. You know, in, in five years, I've got a resume that is just like dynamite. It would mm-hmm. take them a career to get just the exposure, right? Not, again, not the expertise. Not, I'm not trying to apply any of that, but it was it was fun. It was fun. So that that, what I remember most was just the variety I remember how slow the computers were. <laughs> I had three computers, and so I'd print a, a draft of a newsletter and at 8 o'clock in the morning and hope that it would be done in draft mode by 5 p.m. Oh. I'd have a dumb terminal that I'd be running a report on that was pulling everything out of the database. So as soon as you hit run, it would take two hours to generate the report, and you better oh. hope it was right because you couldn't even debug it until two hours. Oh, man. Right, yeah. And then I had another one, which we would, you know, if I ran something else and it locked up, I would just sit there in my office and stare. And so the other thing was, instead of sitting there, 
I would get up and go. And I kind of learned that from hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. It was that old saying, and that you got time to lean, you got time to clean. And that's right. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like sitting there at my desk, three computers are locked. You know, I, well, I, I can't answer the phone because I can't help anybody because mm-hmm. I can't access to a computer. So I'd get up and I'd go into Mr. G's office and I'd say, Mr. G. And he'd say, Mr. F. Say, what do you got for me? He's like, why aren't you working? Well, three computers locked up. Oh, okay. Why don't you go help Keith in sales? <laughs> okay. What does that mean? Well, there's a bunch of, you know, past due invoices, you know, might get on the phone and give those guys a call. Oh, wow. All right. I can do that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He'll, 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 he'll train you to do that. So mm-hmm. I'd get sales training. I'd get, yeah. you know, that sort of cool. thing. So it was fun. Um, instead of him saying, oh, go get a broom or go get a, you know, Windex and wash the windows, which I guess he could have said, mm. you know, he would instead <laughs> say, well, why don't you go help over here? Why don't you go do that? So I learned a lot that way. So that was five years of that. And it was, it was, it was kind of the, it was better than the six I spent in college. <laughs> <laughs> At a certain point, you come out to the west side, right? You come out to Colorado. The I west do. Coast. The west coast. Yes. So I had, after five years of doing kind of all of that, there was only so much more uh, I could do. So, um, you know, I'd been, I'd been flirting with the idea of working for our council of Better Business Bureaus, which was just a I-95 in Arlington, Virginia. I finally caved, and uh, Mr. G, Thomas J. Gallagher, said to me, hey, why didn't you, I'm hurt, why didn't you talk talk to me? I said, well, because the three other times that I've come to you with an offer, you've talked me out of it, and I knew you'd talk me out of this one, <laughs> and I didn't want you to talk me out of mm-hmm. it, so I had to take it. Mm-hmm. He said, I respect that. So um, I began working for our council, and it was just a different environment. It was just different, and it wasn't all that. It, it, it no longer... I was going from a team of 18 to a team of 110. And so I was going from the ability to do everything to going to, this is your job. This is what you do from eight to five, period, end of story. And when I would be inquisitive, people would just be like, yeah, well, don't worry about that. And I understand why, but it still didn't sit well with me. So I quit and uh, I had met my now wife and we had talked about moving to the West Coast and um, my folks had moved to Denver. So we thought about, hey, we'll go to, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Portland, Seattle. We'll, we'll hit somewhere on the West Coast. Let's stop in Denver. We'll drive out. We'll stop in Denver, stay with my folks for three, four, five months, just kind of, you know, mooch off them while we're trying to figure out our lives. And um, just uh, went in, turned my two weeks, and they said, where are you? Why? And I said, well, I'm going to go to Denver. And they said, well, why don't you just work for us from home? And this was kind of the beginning of the of the work at home revolution, mm-hmm. work from home not work at home you know and so how would that look and and worked with them to set up you know the phone system and everything and so I worked out of my uh house and and we ended up staying in Denver because we loved it um ended up staying there for almost five years but I worked for uh the 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 council out of my house from Denver uh from night no from 2000 to 2003 so almost three years to the day I would have like a 15 feet 15 foot commute and my (laughs) wife would have to drive in you know 10 miles to you know through the snow to her job and I would just go there's my commute and so um (laughs) you know I'd have lunch with a buddy of mine you know on this day and I'd go into the Denver BBB and work out of their server room on this day and I would just find different people to bug and bother and you know 
the cat and my dog and the mailman would just like you know run because he didn't <laughs> want me to stop and talk to him I'd be so bored but I, you know I, I did get to work with a lot of other BBBs and I got to meet a lot of people and I, I, I got to you know basically make friends with people across the the uh, United States and Canada because they were our customers so um, you know the job that I had was to support other BBBs and and kind of get them um, get their processes all lined up because back then you might have a database for your call center. You might have a database for your financial system. You might have a database for your media. You'd have a database for this. And so we had developed uh, a management information system that kind of brought all that into one under one system. And so my job was to work with people to kind of integrate that because Mm -hmm. of my background, having done so much for other BBBs, I mean, for the Richmond BBB, Central Virginia BBB, it was just a natural fit. So I traveled, went to do trainings on site, these sorts of things. And so again, I get to make a lot of friends and it was just, it was, the job was fun. It wasn't that challenging, frankly, but it was fun. And any job you throw in a scale, any work from home, uh, I can golf whenever I want. Started to golf, actually. Mm-hmm. That's when I started to golf. Um, you know, was in Denver, be outside all the time. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, why, there's that couple years where I was fine, kind of just not, accelerating and mm-hmm. I was fine just but then you know I got a little I got a little itchy and uh had a conversation with the Denver uh CEO at the time who who was like well I was going to ask you to come and maybe take be the VP of operations but I I just you know you work for the council I can't afford you I said, wait a minute <laughs> you don't know what they pay me she said, well, how much do you make? I said, no, 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 no. How much are you offering? <laughs> like, you know. And she said, let's go to lunch. And then, you know, next thing you know, I was VP of operations for that BBB. And then kind of word got out. Wait a minute. this I didn't know you were looking for a job. I didn't know you were looking for a job. And so I spent the next year kind of fielding these not so subtle inquiries about my willingness to move somewhere. Mm. And Phoenix just spoke to me. I came out. I'd been working with Phoenix as a client. And so I kind of made my way out here in 2004. So it, it, it. With the idea that I would I would be a candidate for uh, the the gal who recruited me out here, and um, yeah, so a year and a half later, you were here. Yeah, well, a year later, probably after I moved it after I started working for the Denver BBB, a year and a month. Was it a hard sell for your wife to come somewhere this hot? No, which you would think, right? She's from Stockholm. She grew up in Stockholm, but she came to the states for for college. So, um, no, I. I I, I, she actually was more excited about it than I was. Mm. I, I'm not, I'm not all that thrilled. I've not been here this, that long time. The summers don't bother me uh, as much as they did the first three years, and I think that's about. But I don't think she, they, they've ever bothered her, uh-huh. which is strange, right? You mm-hmm. would think that they would, but she loves it. She loves the heat and the warmth and kind of knows. I mean, it's when you grow up in you know somewhere like Stockholm and Sweden, you're probably. Okay, enough snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I really don't need it. And Virginia <laughs> didn't have a lot of snow, but Denver did, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, although it, 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 it was an interesting, I mean, Denver weather was great. It just, there was a, there was snow and there was cold. And yeah. uh, here, you know, we complain when it's in the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the two times a year it dips down into the 40s. We all freak out. So you're a good example of the story of sort of starting at the bottom and working your way up the ladder, which is different from, I think, a lot of people in my generation who kind of want to be entrepreneurs and be their own bosses. Yes. Uh, Millennials don't really want to put in their 30 years at one job. We kind of want to have our options open. So 
So what do you think as the president of a multi-generational staff about the differences in how we view work and how do you make an organization as established as the BBB attractive to younger talent? Well, great question. It's multi-layered. So let's start to peel the onion, right? <laughs> All right. Um, I would largely disagree that there is a huge difference with the millennials coming into work with with folks that went into work when I was a millennial, when I was the same age as a millennial, mm -hmm. which I'm not, I don't know how to phrase that, but if that makes sense. When I started, I shared that I was able to do all that stuff. So I didn't start at the bottom and work my way up in the same traditional sense. It wasn't a ladder. It was a, I had an inquisitiveness that was met. And I think that's what millennials have. They want to know why. They want to be a part of it. Why don't know why? It was easier at the smaller organization for my boss to see my enthusiasm and go, well, hell, this kid can work for nothing. I don't got to pay him, right? And mm -hmm. so I'll let, instead of giving him more peanuts, I'll give him more space. I'll give him more this. So I had an incredibly uh, varied and diverse you know, job, but it was always to do your job, right? Do, this is what you're required to do. Once you do this and do it well, then we'll, then I'll let you, I never once said, okay, I'm bored with this. Give me that, mm -hmm. which I think, I, you know, again, my, not every one of my friends went into jobs like that. They would go in and they would go in and they would work. They would have a ladder. They would have, you know, this, this ladder, very clear, this stairwell or whatever you want to call it, that they would climb up. And, and, and I didn't, I just had the, the intrinsic uh, reward that I got was there. So anyway, what, what I'm going with this is I think that millennials and a lot of millennials, and I think it's just now you see it more because, you know, you didn't have Facebook, Instagram, you know, we didn't live our lives online. Gen X was this was kind of behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. We were really good at playing the game and putting on the uniform and then doing whatever we wanted and nobody had any, you know what I mean? Like, I am so glad that there was no Instagram, YouTube, <laughs> Facebook. When I'm, I'm just so glad. I just, I am. And, um, but it, it's here now. So we see it. And I think people respond to that in my generation. Like, oh, I, I worked. Well, I did. I wouldn't get paid a lot, but I, I got, ex and I got exposed to a lot of things. So one of the things that I try to do, and I, and, and, you know, you guys are, work here so you can tell me if we are successful at it. I, I think one of the things that we try to do is allow people to be exposed to other areas of their jobs, uh, other areas of the organization mm -hmm. than just their jobs, if that makes sense, right? So if you are in the dispute resolution, customer, you know, conciliation and engagement, you know, arena, and you are interested in this, you can have an opportunity to, nobody's going to tell you no. But here's the job that we expect you to do. Mm -hmm. Do it, and then we can. Then you can maybe help out over here. Then maybe you can get exposed to these things over here. I'm a huge believer in in people in hiring from within and promoting from within uh, because I think that that shows everybody else in the team that there are opportunities. Um, you know, but then it's the empowerment as well. So it's it's giving people you know roles and responsibilities that may be outside the norm of their job description mm -hmm. which I'm not a big fan of those mm -hmm. or employee handbooks or any of that right I mean I think that um so 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 to me from a multi-generational I don't think the difference I think the difference is how we communicate right and so um or or not how we communicate but what are what the vehicles we use for communication 
and by that, you know, there was a guy, George Shell, who was a uh, uh, chief legal counsel at Coca-Cola, who I sat on a board with for a while. And he was a really, really intelligent guy, really smart man. And he, he used an example of multi-generational communication in email. And he said to me, you have the, you know, greatest, you have somebody from the greatest generation on, on, on your staff all the way down to uh, digital, right? Oh, native, right? Mm-hmm. Digital native. So that's digital native, millennial, XY, uh, baby boomer, greatest generation, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have all that here. So think about email for the greatest generation. And we said this five years ago, so you got a minus five. But when did email become a standard part of business communication? Early 2000s. Bingo. When did that person go into the workforce, right? 50s? 60s probably, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now you've got 40 years without it and 10 years with it. So, right? A native, it, it, what's email? So, right, they're the same, almost the same. You almost, the native and, and so the 18-year-old the, the and the, let's say the 70-year-old are both looking at email like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then you got Gen Xers who are like, you know, maybe baby boomers who still think this is newfangled technology, right? And you have Gen Xers who are kind of like in the middle, right? It's kind of new. I know I shouldn't use it. It's not cool anymore. I need, you know, and, and so I should be texting more. And so anyway, email is seen as either a new technology or an antiquated technology mm-hmm. of the same workforce. Mm-hmm. And it goes for how you communicate with people, how you speak to people. Um, and I think, you know, what, what one of the challenges is just to make sure that every, everybody respects that everybody's coming from a different spot, everybody has different experiences, everybody has different backgrounds. And I think when you create that, um, when you create that, when you allow, when you kind of ensure that people know that respect and understanding that other people bringing are bringing everybody at the, on the team is there for a reason. They're bringing something to the table. Mm-hmm. Then I think that that appeals to everybody, regardless of whether they're millennial or, or or not. So I don't like to really carve out millennials and say this is what they need and nobody else needs it. It's kind of like if they need it, kind of everybody needs it, right? It's a basic human thing, and people are inquisitive and they want to know why. And the more we share why, so I, I think, you know, why do we do what we do? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? Um, what's your role? Why do you exist? Why do we ask you to do that? You know, mm-hmm. when you can explain those things along the way, uh, it helps. Now, there's times when it's like, because I said so, just go do it. Um, <laughs> and so you have to respect that, too. You have to have people on the team that kind of know this and, and will do it. Uh, but you can't go to that too often, right? Um you just can't. I mean, you'll. You, well, I guess you could. You would just have to have the team in place that could accept that. And I think that that's a smaller subset of the population. It's interesting to hear you say it because we also see it on a daily basis of you do always challenge people to ask why and think more about why we do this. Don't just do it because it's been done this way. You have a reputation of being basically a maverick in the entire system because you've hmm. always been pushing forward and you've been trying to, I know, probably sometimes drag other, mm-hmm. you know, the the movement forward and the relevance and the entire brand. Your vision is really far out there and it's and it's taking root here in Phoenix and in San Diego. And it's really important I personally think for the BBB brand cuz it is a 100 plus year old brand. So I guess what where have your ideas come from? Like what's inspired <laughs> your vision? It's a really high level question, but Yeah. No, it's a great question. So I it, my job, I have what I would consider one of the best jobs that a person could have 
who is inquisitive, who is like me and, and is inquisitive because I get to work with board members, business leaders, civic leaders, uh, and who, who, whose sole job is to ensure my success because if I'm successful, the organization is successful. So I get a boardroom of personal and professional supporters that are amazing. And these guys and gals, men and women, of all ages, of all backgrounds, of all industries, share ideas, concerns, thoughts. They challenge me. They don't just show up and, you know, have coffee and, and donuts and go home. I mean, these are people that actually have tremendous ideas and have wonderfully uh, run businesses. And they're able to kind of get with me and kind of just sit down and really get deep about why we exist because better business bureau is a mission it's it it's a theory it's a it's it's in the ether right we exist to make business better we exist to elevate the marketplace we exist to have consumers and you know sellers trust each other we exist to build a community of trustworthy bigs of trustworthy businesses we ex, you know right none of these things are off the shelf none of them and so everything we do uh, every service that we offer, every product that we roll out needs to advance that mission, one of those kind of feelings, right? And so they work with me. What If what we're doing doesn't do it as well as something else, then why are we doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, challenge that. Challenge, challenge. Why? What's What's the reason? What's the purpose? And so many people, it's so hard. You know, they get this role and they go, we got to do what we're doing better. And I understand that, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's process improvement. And it's great. It's not CEO level stuff. It's not. But, you know, it's what they know. And some of them are insanely good at it. I mean, there are some people who are just, I, I, that are my colleagues that are insanely good at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not, they're not, they're not thinking future they're thinking current you know and so it's not bad uh but like you say to 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 bring people in to a new way of thinking you have to pull them you can't push them Mm -hmm. and so yeah you get out there pretty far you get too far afield and 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 you can't throw a lifeline because you're just way up there Mm -hmm. right so yeah i you know i'm constantly having to stop and kind of take a, a pulse of some key uh, stakeholders in the BBB system to make sure that they're aligned. And, you know, there are some, there's a handful that, that I think are, are, are forward thinking um, and we challenge each other. So I think that it, it just comes from incredibly supportive and successful and um, business leaders, right? These are people that are, that are doing it and, and, and just then, challenging you know just trying just keep testing just keep doing i i was talking with some folks the other day and i said one of the most dangerous things that i keep hearing uttered is people come to the bbb for and fill in the blank people expect when they come to the bbb fill in the blank and i said that is such a dangerous way to look at things when you're in our position we need to say people find the bbb uh, and when they do, we have the opportunity to fill in the blank. Mm. And you think about it in those terms, you stop being so chained to your current offerings, right? So when people file a complaint with the BBB, they expect to get a, a result. Well, okay, maybe, mm-hmm. or, you know, 
uh, when people find the BBB, when they have a dispute, BBB has the opportunity to, boom, it changes kind of, you know, our positioning in the whole thing. And it, it it's, you know, I wouldn't say people even come to us for disputes all the time. They're coming to us for a multitude of reasons. Their business is looking for help. Their mm-hmm. people looking for help. Everybody's coming looking f- to have a question answered or validated, a, a, an opinion validated. You know, we, we exist to kind of really help in that evaluation stage, whether that's an evaluation of a product or service or an idea mm-hmm. or an opportunity. That's our kind of, right, that's our, 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 our center kind of, that's what we own. And that's what we need to be mindful of is how do we contribute to that? And so, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I'm a rabbit hole guy, right? So I think I'm down a rabbit hole here. But uh, uh, to go all the way back to kind of what's the impetus for it or why mm-hmm. or how, I, I would just say it's just being mindful of and tapping into and, and just, you know, in a way respectful of the people who really own the BBB and that's the board of directors in the business community, not me, right? I'm uh, uh, I'm here just to make that logo mean something and make sure that it, it, it's as meaningful as it can be. So when we move to this campus. Yes, you had a vision for what the BBB needs to be doing going forward for us here in Phoenix and for San Diego. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. BBB, um, again, as a, as as an entity, um, we we exist. We really have two customers, right? Um, we have the consumers who who come and use us, and, and and potential purchasers and evaluators that use our services to. Um, Again, make sure that they're making a good decision. Help them in that decision-making process. We don't charge for any of those services. That's free. Those are supported by the businesses that support us, our accredited businesses or our members. Uh, They give us money to do what we do and to advance this mission. Yet as members, as accredited businesses, they should be getting assistance as well. So the concentration shouldn't only be on consumer services, right? It should be on business services as well. So... We've largely ignored that as a system. Um, You know, I think largely ignored that as a collective. I wouldn't say that we've largely individually ignored that, but Mm -hmm. we've largely ignored that as a collective. The collective has been around the dispute process, how we rate companies, you know, what opportunities we have to engage, you know, online. They're very consumer centric. And I would argue, uh, because I fully, I firmly believe this, that a consumer that's looking for help and validation and or validation doesn't care if you're in Indiana, India, California, or Arizona. They want help quickly and efficiently. And if you can do that, then there's no, well, gosh, if you weren't in Indiana and you were in Arizona, you could have helped me. No, they don't care. You give them the help, you give them the validation, and it's right and it's good and it, it, it's, it's meaningful, they will come back and they will use this again. That could be done from anywhere. The business community needs us locally they need us and want us to be around right that's where we need to double our efforts that's where we need to concentrate and again we cannot it's this isn't this isn't a zero sum this isn't an either or this isn't a like okay we have to take away five percent of our resources on consumer need and put them into business Mm -hmm. this can and should be happening concurrently so this vision is creating a place for that welcomes businesses to come in and say you know these are the resources and tools that we have for you and it's the kind of the 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 idea is still in its infancy you know we're still you know we're maybe in the toddler stage uh but you know the idea is that we provide resources and tools for businesses 
And one of them can be physical space. You know, one of them can be meeting rooms. One of them can be training rooms. One of them can be co-work space, collaboration, you know, where all these collisions are happening between, you know, maybe, you know, a company who's doing a training here with some people that are co-working with, you know, VVV staff, you know, all meeting in the town square for lunch. And just some beautiful collisions are happening Mm -hmm. of ideas, of theories, of, you know, help, of, you know, future relationships. So, you know, that idea of community and building community, you know, is happening here to, you know, uh, and we will be bringing this to the California region, Southern California region. And we have, you know, begun to do it in some of the other areas in Arizona as well. So, um, you know, in Lake Havasu and Yuma and Prescott, you know, we've, we've, we've begun to deploy some of these strategies as well. Going off of that, um, I think we're in this great sort of exciting moment in time where we're seeing all these new industries pop up all over the place because of this confluence of, you know, like a strong economy, new technologies, changing cultural values. This is a podcast for entrepreneurs put on by the Better Business Bureau. So I guess my question is, why is it important that these rising business leaders conduct business in an ethical way? Trust is kind of the bedrock of the free enterprise system, right? Um it's as basic as if I hand you a, you know, a green rectangle with a president on it, you know that you can take it to the bank or to the store and get goods for it or put it in your savings account, right? You trust that there. I mean, that is, it's that simple. And so when you do things wrong, you lose trust. And the more people lose trust in business, the more regulation comes down, the more things cost, you know? And so, um, to, to instill that in the very beginning that it's a long game. And, you know, businesses and entrepreneurs can be up against it sometimes, you know. I mean, they can be really up against it. They can be all in, all sunk in, and just, you know, feel their back against the wall and have the choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing. The right thing, you know, is going to be good for three years from now. The wrong thing is going to be good for the next three months. They may need to make payroll. They may, you know, they may be f- compelled and feel like they need to do something wrong. If we can get in there and say, no, 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 here's how you can, you know, Look, it's going to be better for you three years from now. You're going to be around. You know, if you take the shortcut, you might not. Um, I think it's important. So entrepreneurs and people in kind of, uh, you know, in, in startup phase or kind of, you know, early early business development stage, they can be vulnerable to doing to taking the wrong the wrong path. Um, and again, trust. You know, business is 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 good, and we believe that business should provide solutions, and businesses should you know, businesses shouldn't be the cause of problems in our society. If business creates problems in our society, there'll be more regulation. There'll be less room for new business growth. There'll be, you know, so you've got to, you've got to look at this as, as an opportunity to really affect behavior and um, get people to buy into it. And, and, and I would tell you guys, and you probably know this and, how many people have you met, actually met, that are you know in business, whether they're starting a business, whether they're 10 years into a business or 50 years into a business, how many of them have you met where you're like, that guy, that gal wakes up every day figuring out how to screw somebody over? Very few. Very few. So the more you can in- reinforce that, a, you know, the more you can reinforce, look, not only are you not trying to screw somebody over, but here's how you do it in a way that will foster trust that will create, you know, a, a reputation for you and your business, your personal brand and your business brand as a person of integrity that people want to help out when your back's against the wall. Assume positive intent. Isn't that something you say? 
Yeah, it's uh, we are a team that ins- that assumes positive intent. You know, it's kind of the idea that nobody can. You, you never know, even if somebody's in a bad mood, or even if somebody snaps at you or isn't nice to you. You know, probably nothing you did. It's probably the you know something happened that morning or that afternoon, and and, and you just happen to be the next person on the call list, right? Or you mm-hmm. just happen to be the next person that they walk into. So, um, yeah, I you know try to diffuse situations, not pour gas on them. You know, that's something that we tell our team too. They can be mad at the process all they want. You know, they can be screaming mad, hopping mad at the process all they want, but if they're don't take it personal, you know. Now, if they be, if they make it personal, which <laughs> you might imagine has happened once or twice at the BBB, um, yeah, we have processes for dealing with that, and we don't inspect people. And I wouldn't tell I would tell a business the same thing, you know. If you're any business, you know, you don't have to deal with customers who are personally attacking you. But if they're attacking your policies, let them, because sometimes they're right, not always. You know, the customer's not always right. But sometimes they are. So mm-hmm. make sure you listen to them. A complaint is an opportunity to find a good solution. Absolutely. Right. And it, 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 right, every opportunity, every problem is an opportunity for a creative solution. And, and a complaint, I mean, to get very BBB technical here, a complaint that comes to us, you know, I tell a, co- a company will call me or I'll meet somebody at a, a meeting. Oh, yeah, you guys send me all these complaints. And I say, no, no, no. You send us all these complaints. <laughs> Your customers, are, you know, I, we, I'd much rather be out, you know, at, you know, teaching, you know, financial literacy on a, on a military base than having somebody, uh, you know, handle your complaints. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the idea is we get them to the business as quickly as we can so that they can take care of it because that's when you become, that's when you can c- create a, a, a return customer. They'll always remember you when you took care of a problem. If you make it impossible to take care of a problem, then they'll, they'll, they will remember that too. But they remember problems. People remember challenges that they had and problems that they have. They don't remember everything that's great. You know, if you drive into work and the traffic's good and it's easy and, you know, the, you don't really remember much of that drive. Mm-hmm. It's just, it happened. Now you're happy that it wasn't, you know, <laughs> gridlock and you're happy that there weren't, you know, five rubberneck accidents. But you remember when you drive by and there's a barbecue or there's, you know, three police on motorcycles that pulled people over or there's a, you know, you didn't move for three exits, you know, in 15 minutes. You know, you remember that. It's like, oh, so we remember those things that we that are painful to us. Um, so when you ha- when you're a business and there's an opportunity, even if it wasn't your fault, um, you can create a lifetime customer, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, there's there's something to be said for, uh, you know grabbing people and teaching them a lot of these things right when they begin or just reinforcing them I should say you know a lot of this you know it's it's probably a little bit arrogant to think that that we would be teaching it uh, I think it's probably more appropriate to say that we're just reinforcing it and reminding people of it having said all that do you have any tips for aspiring entrepreneurs uh no no um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I have tips you know in the, in the, in the startup stages you know other than you, you tap into your your resources, your networks, look for things. Uh, the thing that I think I, I see more than anything is be ready to scale and make sure that you're ready to scale because that's where we see the most problems is when you're at that growth stage where your demand begins to outpace your ability to either produce or respond to an issue that may come up, right? So 
Um, you know, we've experienced that at the BBB, I'm not ashamed to say. And, you know, as we've grown, you know, we've, when do you sink costs into customer service? When do you sink costs into more production? Um, you know, that's where I think businesses at that, at that, at that, at that point when they're starting to scale up, that's when they, that's when they really run into problems or that's when they can, they can run into problems. Uh, but when you're starting out, you know, just tap into every resource available to you, you know, look for mentors, look for supporters, champions, you know, look for resources, make sure people know what you're doing, why you're doing it. Um, and just, you know, just be, just stick with it. So the last question we have for you, Matt, is what are you looking forward to the most in the upcoming year uh, for the, sleep. for sleep, uh, <laughs> for you personally yeah. and for BBB serving the Pacific Southwest? What am I looking forward to the most in the coming year? Or what are you excited about? What I'm excited about is the likelihood that a lot of our initiatives and our ideas that we've begun here will will begin to really cement and really take shape. Uh, there's a lot that we're doing that is still a bit... Um, well, it's new, right? I said we're still in the infancy. Not, you know, we might we might be in the toddler stage at this point, and so you don't have everything quite formed yet. We don't have all of our ideas, you know, documented, and 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 we're still figuring out the best way to do certain things. So, I'm really excited about a lot of the initiatives that we've started, like Ignite, Sparked by BBB, taking shape, like the Business and Community Center getting really uh, more formalized. You know, bringing these ideas to Southern California. Uh, you know, the expansion that we can have uh, and, and just the community that we're building. So I'm really excited about seeing a lot of things take shape that, um, you know, we've started and uh, look like they're going to be wonderful. So just I, I'm looking forward to, to not being in startup mode ourselves with a lot of these <laughs> projects. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Matt, it's been great having you on the show. We really appreciated the conversation. Yes, thank you. World's best boss right here. We're not just <laughs> saying it because there's a payday coming up soon. It's sure. actually true. Matt oh. is an awesome boss and an even better leader. I appreciate that, and I uh, appreciate what you guys are doing and seeing this stuff come to fruition, right? And, you know, I've listened to a number of the podcasts and uh, really impressed you guys do great work. So thank you, too, for what you do. And uh, to everybody listening or anybody listening, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to BBB. We're always uh, happy to help. And uh, if we can't help you, we'll tell you who can. We are so lucky to have had Matt on the show. He's a busy man, and we appreciate him taking the time to have a conversation with us. It's never difficult to have a conversation with Matt because his inquisitiveness is ever-present. He's always eager to share something new he's learned about, and he does it with an enthusiasm that is uniquely contagious. It's great to hear from your CEO about what fuels them, and it sort of stirs your own passions about the work you do as an individual in the organization. I know I'm very humbled by Matt's story, and I hope you, dear listener, have also been inspired in some way. Registration is now open for BBB's 2019 Integrity Golf Classic. Players can look forward to a fun day at the Madero's Golf Club in San Diego. The registration deadline is May 31st, so please register as soon as possible to ensure you and your foursome have a spot in the tournament, which is taking place June 6th. We're also looking for donors for raffle items as well as whole sponsors for the event. So if you represent a community conscious organization that would like to support our foundation's outreach initiatives, please visit golf.bbbcommunity.org and click on the sponsorship tab to see how you can get involved. That's golf.bbbcommunity.org. 
We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please rate and review it anywhere you listen to podcasts. I want to remind you that if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or requests, you can send them to the Torch Podcast at bbbcommunity.org, and we will get back to you. See you next time, folks. <laughs>